Expanding upon his viral TEDx talk, psychology professor and social scientist John Petroselli writes a book which reveals the critical thinking habits you can develop to recognize and combat pervasive false information and delusional thinking that has become a common feature of everyday life. Petroselli defines what he calls BS as the foundation of contaminated thinking and bad decisions that leads to health consequences, financial losses, legal consequences, broken relationships, and wasted time and resources. He writes, No matter how smart we believe ourselves to be, we're all susceptible to it, and we all engage in it. While we may brush it off as harmless marketing sales speak or as humorous embellished claims, it's actually much more dangerous and insidious. It's how Bertie Madoff successfully swindled billions of dollars from even the most experienced financial experts with his Ponzi scheme. It's how the protocols of Mao Zedong's Great Leap Forward resulted in the deaths of 36 million people from starvation. It's the stuff of Andrew Wakefield's fraudulent research that has led to the well-debunked assertion that the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine causes autism in children. And it's the stuff of senseless conspiracy theories that compel people to storm their own country's capital building in hopes of reversing a fair election. Presented as truths by authority figures and credentialed experts, this hogwash appears legitimate, and we accept their words as gospel. If we don't question the information we receive from these people to prove their thoughts and theories, we allow these falsehoods to take root in our memories and beliefs. This faulty data affects our decision-making capabilities and sometimes results in regrettable life choices. But with a little dose of skepticism and a commitment to truth-seeking, you can build your critical thinking and scientific reasoning skills to evaluate information, separate fact from fiction, and see through the spin. My friends, if the secular world is warning itself of fake news, nonsensical facts, unverified claims, and spin, how much more should we as Christians be warned as we try to live a God-honoring life in a world where the great deceiver, Satan, has charge? As our country prepares to choose its next leaders from the local level to the national level, it is vitally important that we're able to cut through the spin and determine what it is our leaders or potential leaders really believe and hold to as convictions. Because what our leaders believe and advocate for will have a direct effect and impact on our lives. So let's take a look into the Scriptures to help us learn some biblical principles that will help us wisely discern who would be the best leader based on their positions and platform. I want to study a familiar passage often used in the context of spiritual warfare and use the biblical principles in this passage to offer up some practical applications for how to wisely choose a leader based on their convictions and beliefs. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as we take a look at verses 10 to 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. From these verses, we want to draw out six things to check for in a leader's beliefs, positions, convictions, and platform. I read now verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
These verses remind us to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand up against the attacks of the devil. The whole armor of God, as we will see, is not a physical suit we put on, but different aspects of how we live out our Christian lives. Verse 12 reminds us that as Christians, our true fight is not against the peoples of this world, but against the spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness led by Satan and his demons. Satan's influence is great in this world, affecting every aspect of it, including governments, rulers, and leaders. Therefore, we're told in verse 13 to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand up against the evil one in this dark world. You see, my friends, our fight should not be with other Christians who have differing opinions and perspectives than we do. We'll talk about how to deal with people who disagree with us next week. Our fight should be with the unbiblical ideas and sinful positions being propagated by Satan through a secular, humanistic worldview. The whole armor of God is to counter these satanic schemes, and therefore, its component parts should form the basis of our filter by which we assess the beliefs, positions, and platforms of the leader we have or wish to have in the political world, the corporate world, the educational world, the secular and spiritual worlds, and even in churches. So let's take a look at six things we need to check as we assess a leader's position, stance, and conviction. Let's call them platform checks. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The first piece that Christians are to equip themselves with to fight the lies, temptations, and deception of Satan is the belt of truth. For a Roman soldier, it was the first thing that they put on around their waist because it held their loose-fitting garments together and served as a place to hang his other armor and armaments. Without that belt, a Roman soldier would find it very difficult to fight because his loose-fitting robe would impede his ability to move well. Likewise for the Christian, truth is of prime importance to what we believe and how we act based on that belief. Because without the foundation of truth, that what we believe is false, and how we live out that falsehood is futile living. For example, if you believe that eating 100 bananas a day will prevent you from getting cancer, then the weight gain, cost, and lifestyle change that comes from eating 100 bananas a day is pointless and all for naught, because eating 100 bananas a day simply doesn't prevent cancer. If we believe in truth and our actions are based on truth, then we can easily hold our ground because there will be no doubts that Satan can plant in our minds or challenges he can say or do that will cause us to waver. You see, to live in truth is to live in freedom from manipulation or freedom from outside forces. Look at Jesus' own words in John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then a few chapters over in John 17, verse 17. Jesus' own words. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Meaning, set them apart by what is true. And God's word is that truth. For example, we know with great certainty the truth that one plus one equals two. It doesn't matter if Satan somehow puts it down in our minds that one plus one does not equal two, but instead three. We wouldn't believe him. We are so sure of the truth. Even if our closest friends tell us that one plus one equals three, we would have the courage to tell them to their face, you're wrong, because we know with certainty that one plus one equals two. 
the certainty in which we proclaim and the courage to demand that one plus one equals two should be the same certainty and boldness we have with the truths of the Scriptures. With this certainty and courage, we will be able to withstand the attacks of Satan and the world. You know, the reason Satan's able to get to us so often with ease is because Christians either don't know the truths of the Bible or not willing to stand up for what is truth. From this principle, we draw out our first platform check. Number one, is it true and accurate? Is it true and accurate? Simply put, is what our leader or potential leader proposing true and accurate? If they advocate that one plus one equals three, would you still support them? If their biggest campaign contributor tells them to advocate that one plus one equals three, would they buckle under the pressure or would they uphold the truth? You know, there was a time in our history when people advocated the lie that light-skinned people were better than dark-skinned people from Asia to Europe and to the Americas. Sadly, this untruth is believed by some even today. Would you select a leader that advocates for this lie, this untruth? I think most of us would not. But then why do we tolerate or overlook the other untruths that our leaders advocate for and hold to? As Christians who value truth, we should assess someone's platform and beliefs for its truth and accuracy. We should not tolerate lies, but cherish truth. In fact, in John chapter 4, verse 24, we are reminded by Jesus that when we worship God, we do so in spirit and in truth. And in whatever we do, we are worshiping God. Even when we choose our leaders, we are worshiping God, and we are to do so in spirit and in truth. I read now the second half of verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the second piece of armor that Christians are to equip themselves with to fight the lies and deception of Satan is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness refers to the righteousness of Christ practiced in a believer's life. In other words, righteous living or living rightly. When a believer lives in righteousness, he or she will be able to guard his or her heart and withstand the enemy's attacks. Just like the soldier's breastplate protected his chest and the vital organs behind it from an enemy's attacks. If a Christian is doing what is right and living righteously, there is nothing for that Christian to fear because the enemy has nothing on that person. They can't be blackmailed with the possibility of having their sins exposed. Satan will have a hard time defeating someone whose life is lived with integrity and honesty. Not only is the believer's conscience clear, but his just and right living will be respected and recognized by others. Righteous living is more than doing what is right in light of the Word of God. It is living out the truths of Scriptures as a way of life. It is living out the principles of Scripture as a way of life. It is part of who they are, and so infuses them as a person. It naturally comes out in their words and actions, the ways of Christ. My friends, is Christianity just for you, like a certificate on the wall, where you can point to it and say, see, I accepted Christ. It's there for all of you to see, and I did it on this date. Or is it for you a way you live your life, where you can point to yourself and tell the world, I hope you can see Christ in the way that I live. Is there a difference in your life as a follower of Christ than when you were an unbeliever? Has your desire for sin lessened? Do you willingly and naturally choose obedience to God's Word over the allures of worldly sin? Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is living out a Spirit-filled life. 
in one of my favorite stories that I often tell. Gordon Maxwell, missionary to India, once asked a Hindu scholar to teach him the language when he moved to India. But the Hindu scholar replied, No, Shaheem, I will not teach you my language. You would make me a Christian. Gordon Maxwell replied, You misunderstand me. I'm simply asking you to teach me your language, not to convert you. Again, the scholar replied, No, Shaheem, I will not teach you. Why not? Maxwell asked. The Hindu scholar replied, because I know of your reputation, and it is this, no man can live with you and not become a Christian. Can it be said of you? No person can interact with you. No person can live with you and not become a Christian. Maxwell lived out Christianity as a way of life and lived rightly. He was able to stand firm against the attacks of the evil one. From this truth, we draw out our second platform check. Number two, is it just and right? Is it just and right? As we prepare to choose a leader or vote him or her in the office, we should look at the positions he holds to and advocates for and ask ourselves, are his positions just and right? At the end of the day, the value a person or leader places on justice and righteousness comes out in his convictions, advocacies, and plans. Are his platforms and plans right and just? There was a time when people really believed that women were not as intelligent as men and not equal in worth, so they didn't allow women to vote and prevented them from holding certain jobs. But that belief is simply wrong because Genesis chapter 2 tells us that women are equal in worth and intelligence to men, and they are created in the image of God. There was a time in many countries where you were not allowed to marry outside of your own ethnicity, which was wrong. Even today, Leaders continue to propagate ideas that are simply wrong and unbiblical. And we Christians should be discerning, taking the time to really research what positions our leaders hold to and to see if they are right and just. For example, there are places in the world where leaders advocate for the superiority of a people group or the preferential treatment of an ethnic race. There are leaders in other countries who believe that one should not have the freedom to convert to Christianity or for a Christian to share the gospel to their friends and family. There are some who propose that Christians should go against biblical teachings and their convictions just so another person would be happy. We see this in history past with the account of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den for praying, or his three friends being thrown into the fiery furnace for not wanting to worship an idol. Let us study well the platform of the leaders we choose to make sure that their position is just and right. Because as believers, we are called to live out the truths of the Scripture as a way of life. We cannot be hypocritical in our actions of saying we believe this is right, but then selecting or voting for a leader who advocates for something that is simply wrong. I read now verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The third thing that Christians are to do to prepare themselves to fight the lies and deception of Satan is to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what does this mean? To shod your feet means to bind the sandals under one's feet or to bind, to tie, or knit the Roman sandals tightly to one's feet. In our modern-day context, it is like tightening the shoelaces of your sports shoes to prepare for the game. Roman infantrymen often wore tough sandals studded with sharp, thick nails on the bottom to increase traction, just like the ridges of your athletic shoes or car tires. 
It allowed the soldier to stand his ground with increased traction instead of being pushed over easily. And because the sandals were tightly bound to the feet, the entire person would be very hard to move and be able to stand his ground. He would be able to hold his position. This is a picture of a Christian's ability to hold firm to his conviction and stand his ground. A believer finds his stability and sure-footedness from the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, which will give him peace in his heart so that he will be able to stand strong and courageous in the heat of the battle. Because the good news of Jesus is a victorious message. It is a message of hope, a message of assurance, stability, and courage, knowing that you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. And in our weakness, the strength of the one who holds the universe in his hands is made more evident in our lives and comes to our aid. And that's why to ready ourselves against Satan's onslaught, we have to live out gospel truths in our lives. Our everyday walk in this world, in words and action, must be consistent, authentic, and genuine so that we will be able to hold our ground against the temptations of Satan and stand strong for our convictions because then the world cannot call us hypocrites. We are prepared to live out what we believe. In fact, the truths of the Scriptures are consistent across the 66 books of the Bible because there's only one God who inspired more than 40 different authors and writers across thousands of years, and yet none of the verses contradict each other. That's why not only can the Bible be defended, but if we live out what the Bible teaches consistently, we can defend ourselves from the attacks of Satan and this world. From this truth, we draw out our third platform check. Number three, is it defendable and consistent? Is it defendable and consistent? As we prepare to choose a leader or vote him or her in the office, we should look at the position he or she holds to and advocates for and ask ourselves, are his or her positions defendable and consistent? Leaders who keep flipping their positions without a legitimate reason show that they really don't believe in what they're advocating for. It is not a conviction they hold to. It is not a conviction they really believe in, but perhaps simply said for their own expediency. If someone says they uphold the Christian values and value biblical family values, but is having an affair or has multiple marriages, they probably don't really believe what they say they believe. For all leaders, in both the secular or spiritual worlds, we have to assess if what they claim can be defended and verified so that you can really be sure that their position will not waver or change when they get into positions of leadership or political office. All too often, people say what they believe people want to hear just to get their votes. But once in office, they flip-flop on their position, and you feel like you were deceived. People's true convictions and beliefs often never change and are consistent over time. Therefore, in assessing a leader's true position, make sure it is defendable by facts and evidence in action and consistent throughout his or her life. Of course, people are allowed to change their positions and convictions, especially if they are wrong, but constant flip-flopping on multiple positions show they are catering to the whims of public opinion. This is dangerous for any type of leader, whether it's secular or spiritual leadership. I read now verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
The fourth piece of armory that Christians are to equip themselves with to fight the lies and deception of Satan is the shield of faith. A Roman shield was about two and a half feet wide and four feet long. It was overlaid with linen and leather to absorb the fiery arrows. This shield of faith has the idea that a Christian's resolute faith in the Lord can stop and extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. As we remember that Satan, as our enemy, is constantly attacking us, we must cultivate a faith that is rooted in God's Word, in a faith that is actively applying the truths of the Scriptures to thwart the constant, relentless attacks of Satan. That's why it's important for a believer to grow in their Christian faith, to move beyond the wonderful emotional feelings that comes with knowing Jesus, but to also know the concrete truth taught in the Bible. What do you know about who God is and how He operates? What do you know about Jesus Christ and what He instructed for us in how we are to live? What do you know about the Holy Spirit who resides in us as believers and the empowerment we have through Him? What do you know about the Christian faith? Because the more faith we have, the stronger and thicker our figurative shield. And with a thick shield, the less fear we will have as less flaming arrows of Satan will be able to penetrate our shield of faith. That's why we need to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. I remember when I experienced two separate episodes of demonic attack right before I was to preach the next morning many years back. While fearful, because I'd never experienced something like that before, my faith in the truths of the Bible allowed me to stand my ground. I remembered that I am a child of the Heavenly Father and that He is all-powerful Therefore, nothing can happen to me that He does not allow because of His sovereignty. That is the reasonable conclusion to those biblical truths. I was reminded that greater is He that is in us than he that is of the world from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Therefore, logically, since my trust is in God, who is more powerful than Satan, rationally, what do I have to be afraid of? I was reminded that I am bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, And therefore, logically, Satan and his minions have no power over me because they were defeated at the cross. And I suffered not a scratch on my body because those episodes were to scare me from making a decision to move to the Philippines. Since I moved back here in 2005, I have not experienced another attack like that. Know the Scriptures, and it will deepen your faith and thicken your shield of faith. And as you study God's Word you will realize that the absolute truths it teaches and the principles it advocates for, which is for our good, are both reasonable and rational. You see, my friends, our Christian faith is not built on blind faith. It finds its foundation in the all-powerful, unchanging God of order who created the universe and all its natural processes and systems. It is this God who is all-knowing and the originator of all truths and wisdom that the Bible tells us is the author and finisher of our faith. That means we place our trust by faith in the truths of Scripture that are both reasonable and rational. From this truth, we draw out our fourth platform check. Number four, is it reasonable and rational? Is it reasonable and rational? As we prepare to choose a leader or vote him or her in the office, we should look at the positions he or she holds to and advocates for and ask ourselves, are his plans and promises reasonable and rational, meaning realistic? 
You know, it's so easy to make promises, but delivering on your promises is another thing. Leaders will promise the world just to become leaders, but it is incumbent upon us to use wisdom and discernment to see if what they promise is really sustainable or realistic. Would you believe someone if they promise everyone free pizza and hamburgers every day for the rest of your lives? You should ask the question, where is the money going to come from? You see, there's always a cost. There's always going to be a cost. If they promise they will make sure everyone will have guaranteed social security and free medical care until they pass from this life with no increase in taxes, that simply doesn't work. If someone promises free cars and motorcycles for everyone without new taxes, that also doesn't work. That's an empty promise. Sadly, we only latch onto the benefits without thinking about the cost involved. Some would argue that salvation is unreasonable and too good to be true because we all get the free gift of salvation and eternal life simply by believing in Jesus and doing nothing. But we forget that there was a heavy cost involved. The free gift of salvation came with the cost of the sinless Son of God dying on our behalf. If something is too good to be true, then it probably is. Think wisely and ask if what is being proposed and promised is reasonable and rational. I'll read now the first part of verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, the fifth piece of armory that Christians are to equip themselves with to fight the lies and temptations of the evil one is the helmet of salvation. The Greek word take is an imperative verb that commands a Christian to put it on and parallels the imperative word stand in verse 14. A Roman helmet, being caught and uncomfortable, would be put on by the soldier only when he faced impending danger of being attacked or readying himself to battle the enemy. The helmet of salvation here refers to deliverance and victory from the attacks of Satan, both in the present and in the future, because of the salvation we receive through our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we place our trust in Christ, we are no longer condemned for our sins in the past, the present, and the future because of the penalty for all of our sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross. We are saved from the eternal death we deserve. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is clear on this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in the present life we live, we can also have victory and salvation over Satan's lies and deception when we ask God to help us overcome in prayer. Now let me ask you this. When you encounter problems, should you pray and ask God for help and salvation at the beginning of the situation or when you're already close to defeat and after when the problem is over? Before you answer that, using the helmet example, does a soldier put on his protective helmet before he goes in the battle to save him or does he put it on after he gets shot with an arrow or slashed with a sword on his head? Putting a helmet on after you've been hit would be illogical and irrational, just like asking God for help only after you've been struck or near defeat. We should ask God for help and salvation to deliver us from Satan's lies and temptations at the start of every day as we prepare to enter the battlefield. So my friend, when Satan attacks, we can claim the salvation we have in Christ in prayer to find deliverance and victory. And this victory we have through salvation in Christ is available to all people because of God's love. It isn't only exclusive for some. Regardless of your race, ethnicity, skin color, social economic level, 
gender, age, or profession. Salvation through Jesus Christ is available for all and is beneficial for all people. That's what John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 so clearly tells us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Salvation is available to all people for everyone's benefit. From this truth, we draw our fifth platform check. Number five, is it beneficial to all people? Is it beneficial to all people? As we prepare to choose a leader or vote him or her in the office, we should look at the positions he or she holds to and advocates for and ask ourselves, does it help all people or does it only help some people? Are the leader's policies and advocacies beholden only to special interest groups or to a segment of the population? Or does he or she have plans to address the needs of all the people in every sector group unique to them? I'm not advocating that there needs to be an equity of goods for all, as in a socialist economic model, because it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because there are differences in the definition and application of fairness. There is fairness as it relates to sameness, fairness as it relates to deservedness, and fairness as it relates to need. My point is, does the leader look out for the needs of all the people or just some of the people through his policies? Does the leader have plans for the poorest in our society, the small business owners, those who need a social support system, or even those who are well-off and lead companies that employ many? Those in the medical community, those in the religious community, those in the service industry, those in the military and police, those in the tourism industry, and all the other sector groups. Every sector of society has needs. Does the leader you are considering have a reasonable plan and have a listening ear to be willing to address all the needs that they have? I read now the second half of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sixth piece of armory that Christians are to equip themselves with is the sword of the Spirit, which is described as God's Word, the Bible. This is the only offensive weapon as described by the Apostle Paul. The Greek word for word is rhema. It refers to the preached Word of God or an utterance as prompted by the Holy Spirit of a verse or portion of Scripture with application and the current situation. It is the same idea as the Greek word logos, also meaning God's Word. This means our offensive weapon to counteract the temptations and lies of Satan is the words of Scripture. That's what Jesus used three times when tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus used God's Word accurately and in context to rebuke Satan. On the other hand, when Eve didn't remember God's Word accurately, she fell into Satan's deception when he said to her, did God really say that in reference to not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's why it is important to read and know God's Word. But sadly, in our generation today, biblical literacy is at an all-time low. I remember a funny story of a candidate for church membership who was asked by a church committee, what part of the Bible do you like best? He said, I like the New Testament best. Then he was asked, what book in the New Testament is your favorite? He answered, the book of the parables. They then asked him to tell one of the parables. A bit uncertain, he began, once upon a time, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and the thorns grew up and choked the man. And he went on and met the queen of Sheba, 
and she gave that man a thousand talents of silver and a hundred changes of clothing. And he got into his chariot and drove fiercely, and as he was driving along under a big tree, his hair got caught in a limb and left him hanging there, and he hung there many days and many nights. The ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And one night, while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he fell on stony ground. And it began to rain, and rained forty days and forty nights, and he hid himself in a cave. Later he went on and met a man and who said, Come in and take supper with me. But he said, I can't come in, for I have married a wife. And the man went out into the highways and hedges and compelled him to come in. He then came to Jerusalem and saw Queen Jezebel sitting high and lifted up in a window of the wall. When she saw him, she laughed, and he said, Throw her down out of there, and they threw her down. And he said, Throw her down again, and they threw her down seventy times seven. And the fragments which they picked up filled twelve baskets full. Now, whose wife will she be in the day of the judgment? After his explanation the church membership committee agreed to accept him into the church membership because this man, they said, really knew the Bible. We may laugh at how this man mixed up many of the biblical stories and how the committee themselves thought it was true because they didn't know the Bible. But how well do you know the Bible? Do you know what it says to know the heart of God and what He desires for you? While there may not be a specific verse for every one of the situations we're in, we take the biblical principles laid out in Scriptures to see if our actions, decisions, beliefs, and opinions are consistent with God's Word. And to make sure we don't misuse or misunderstand the Scriptures, we need to make sure the biblical principles we advocate for is consistently taught throughout the Bible as God does not contradict Himself. That's why we need to familiarize ourselves with the entirety of the Scriptures. For example, let's say I have COVID-19 and I need to self-isolate for a few days, but all of my friends are going to the beach and I want to be with them. They don't know that I have COVID and I don't have any symptoms. But I also know, even if I'm asymptomatic, I could still be infectious and knowingly put either my friends or someone else I come in contact with at risk. I know that my governmental authorities have given me guidelines to abide by in terms of self-quarantine. But the Bible doesn't have any verses on thou shalt not break your self-quarantine from the COVID-19 virus. However, the Bible does have some guiding general principles, like I should treat others how I want to be treated in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, and that I should not kill in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. And Scripture says to obey governmental authorities unless they ask me to do something that goes against my Christian beliefs in Romans chapter 13. From this truth, we draw out our sixth platform check. Number six, is it consistent with God's Word? Is it consistent with God's Word? As we prepare to choose a leader or vote him or her in the office, we should look at the positions he or she holds to and advocates for and filter it through the general and specific biblical principles that should guide every Christian. We should study that person's position on the issues of marriage and civil unions, abortion and euthanasia, reproductive health, LGBTQ plus rights, pornography, graft and corruption, civil rights, human rights, and other issues to see if they are consistent with what is taught and advocated for in God's Word. 
This, perhaps, is the most important platform check because we should desire leaders who rule over us, who have the heart and mind of God, and desires to do as He does. Finally, verses 18 to 20, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul writes in these three verses that this spiritual battle against Satan, and with it the discernment process, requires much prayer. Like with the qualities we need to look for in a leader that we discussed last week, just as no one will have all the qualities because no one is perfect, no one will have the perfect platform and set of convictions that is in perfect alignment with God's Word. That's why we have to prayerfully discern who would then be the best among the choices, best aligned with these biblical principle guidelines. The standards of Scripture is high and perfect because it is written by a holy and perfect God. As imperfect people, we want to be as closely aligned to these standards with the help of the Lord because as the Apostle Paul reminds us in verse 20, as Christians, we are Christ's ambassador to this world. The world is watching how we will decide and discern and seeing if our actions are consistent with God's Word. So let's remember that the positions, beliefs, convictions, and platforms of a leader, candidate, or political party we support should be number one, true and accurate. Number two, just and right. Number three, defendable and consistent. Number four, reasonable and rational. Number five, beneficial to all people. Number six, consistent with God's Word. In his article, Why Christians Must Engage in Politics, James Johnson writes, On a practical and spiritual level, Christians must be fully engaged in the battle. Ominous signs of moral collapse and cultural decay now appear like never before in our history. But we must remember that the battle is not between political parties and candidates, but it is between righteousness versus unrighteousness and good versus evil. The devil applauds any society that has politically sanctioned the murder of innocent lives and the marriage of unnatural affections. Unfortunately, many Christians have the idea that it doesn't matter who is in public office, local or national, because they say it doesn't impact the kingdom of God at all. I strongly disagree with that conclusion. Those Christians have essentially withdrawn themselves from spiritual battle. My friends... We are in a spiritual battle. So let's put on the armor of God, even in the process of selecting leaders in the secular and spiritual worlds, so that we will be able to withstand the attacks of Satan and rejoice heading into this battle because victory is already assured through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It gives us a guideline by which we can filter and discern what are the positions and policies and platform of the leaders we desire to lead us. Help us to put in the effort and the time and the energy even to go and investigate what our leaders hold to. Father, it is incumbent upon us as Christians to be responsible followers of yours to do the legwork to make sure that we are voting for positions and platforms that are consistent with God's Word so that we will not be hypocritical to the world that is watching how Christians vote. Father, may you give us wisdom from above to be able to wisely discern 
and to be able to cut through the spin. And may our votes glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.